0: Let's admit it. We're rich. Some will quickly say that's a relative term. Perhaps compared to others in Canada, you think you're poor. But in the context of the whole world, even the poorest in Canada are rich. So the question for us as Christians is, how can I enjoy the rich provision the Bible says is mine? In this four-week small group series, we'll be researching what God says about His provision for us. Paul says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What does it all mean? Do not be deceived, says the Apostle Paul, we reap what we sow. This is one of the most powerful faith principles in the whole Bible. If you sow sparingly, you will continue to live in poverty. If you sow generously, you will reap an abundance. It's the law of the farm and it seems to apply to every area of our lives. God will not contravene His own laws and rules because He wants us to learn, once and for all, the power of trusting Him and the power of giving generously. Here's a question to think about. Do you have an abundance outlook or a poverty attitude? When it comes to understanding or checking our faith in God, giving is the first and easiest way to determine how much we trust God. There are many who attend church and give nothing. While it's true God wants us to give our time and our talent, He especially makes a point to focus on the treasures we hold dear. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are, in the end, just pagans dressed like Christians. What are you?
1: Good morning everyone. Can you still smell the burning paper? So let that smell just remind you of something good and that is the burning of our mortgage. Well we're beginning a brand new series today and it's called Prosperity 101 and you may notice that there is a cross where there should be a T and for some of you you uh, may may have uh, maybe I've had a bad experience having heard teaching maybe that some would characterize as prosperity gospel. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about that. I want to talk about having a right understanding of prosperity as the Bible teaches it. Uh, And before we get into that, I just want to share with you um, that... Really, the first time I ever heard anything about prosperity and Christianity or prosperity in the gospel put together was through TV evangelists and preachers. And uh, it, it actually, it's proliferated over the years. Uh, some of you may have heard of or seen the Preachers of L.A. Has anybody heard of that? Uh, it's on the Oxygen channel. I've never actually seen it on TV, but I have seen it on, um, on YouTube. And these pastors, uh, so-called pastors, they have large churches and they make big money. In fact, uh, uh, some of these guys are multi, multi multi-millionaires. And they, uh, in these episodes, they show the pastors in their churches and they show the pastors with their struggles. And one of the pastors actually leaves his wife and gets a girl pregnant and uh, and then and then marries her all while all while pastoring his church and and getting richer and richer. It just boggles the mind. You just can't you you, you can't figure out you know, what world are these people from? Uh, apparently, L.A. is its own world. And uh, and pictures of them or footage of them driving their you know their Ferraris and their Rolls Royces and so on and so forth. It's all quite shocking. Um, I would, I would recommend this if you want to just get a better understanding of who it is that you're listening to on TV. Just Google the name of the pastor that you're watching on TV and then ask net worth, and, uh, and you, you might be shocked. Many, many of these pastors, their net worth is, is in, in excess of $25 million. Did you, did you hear that? Did I hear any gasps? Or, or did you, were you expecting that maybe? Uh, here, this guy here, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, T.D. Jakes. His net worth in Canadian dollars is over $200 million. And you just wonder, wow, do you really need $200 million? Uh, these guys, they say, give to this ministry and God will prosper you. Uh, plant seed in our ministry and God will prosper you beyond your wildest dreams. Now, many of them will say, well, this, is, this wealth that I have, this wealth that we have is proof of God's blessing, and they'll say, this is our theology, and it just proves, it goes to show that we are doing our job well. I mean, after all, didn't the Apostle Paul say this? You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. This would be the kind of verses that they would quote to support What they're saying. I remember watching uh, one pastor, uh, and I'm not going to name him. At least not today. I might another Sunday. I don't know. But he's he's uh, sitting there beside his lake, beside the lake in front of his property. His massive, massive, uh, probably 10,000 square foot home behind him. A 10,000 square foot home is just a little bit smaller than this entire building. And uh, he says to, the, to his listeners on TV, uh, you need to plant seed, give to our ministry. And he says, look how God has prospered me, and you could have the same thing. Now, the problem is, is that nobody in those churches actually do get what the pastor gets. And none of them drives the Rolls Royces. And, um, and they'll say, well, but the Bible says clearly that Jesus died on the cross. He became poor to make me rich. Now I gotta just before I go any further just tell you this the idea of Jesus dying on the cross in order to make it possible for me to own a Rolls-royce is is repulsive it 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 nauseates me and yet so many of these preachers will teach you that um, I was reading about one pastor uh, who's on TV and he's got a home in Florida he's got a home in New York he's got a home in California he's got he was raising $60 million so he could buy his, his, his ministry jet. Um, it's, it's serious, folks. It's really, really serious business that they've got going here and worth, worth millions, absolutely millions of dollars. Now, Paul says that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, seems to be contradicting what Jesus said. Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The Son of Man doesn't have a 15,000 square foot mansion to live in. In fact, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So is the the Bible contradicting itself? Is, is, Is Paul contradicting Jesus? What's going on here? Did Jesus die on the cross in order to make us rich so that it becomes nearly impossible for us to enter the kingdom of heaven? That doesn't make sense. So what's going on here? What's Paul pointing out? What is he, what's Paul suggesting that we should have? Well, before we go any further, can I just point out something to you here? It says that Jesus, though he was rich... Yet for our sakes he became poor. What does that mean? What's that referring to? Well, before Jesus came to this earth, before he left the presence of Almighty God, he came to this earth, uh, this earth of poverty, this world of poverty. Jesus, or Paul is saying that the place that Jesus came from was a place of beauty and of wealth. Now, some of you will remember the series on the Garden of Eden that we did back a number of months ago. We talk about the Garden of Eden as God's kingdom headquarters, or we talk about it as his throne room. And so we recognize that before Jesus came to this earth, he was dwelling in the rich presence of the Father. Well, I'm going to address that more in just a moment. But I want to point out another passage of Scripture to you, which seems, again, to contradict what Jesus is saying about people who are rich. Look at this. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus says, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And those who believe in the prosperity gospel say, see, I told you, Jesus has promised that he wants us to be rich. So does the Bible contradict itself? Absolutely not. The thing that you gotta do, folks, is you gotta know what the Bible actually says. You have gotta know what the whole Bible says. You've gotta know these passages of scripture in context. In context of the whole Bible. And it's my job to help you understand that. So, over the next five weeks, Culminating in Easter Sunday service, we're going to be talking about this prosperity that God has promised to us, that Jesus has promised to all who are His followers. So then, let's take a look at this, um, and we're going to go back to that verse again, 2 Corinthians eight and nine. What is the key to understanding riches? Paul says that Jesus, through His generous grace. Uh, Though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. Now, to understand the riches of Jesus Christ, you need to understand that the Apostle Paul is, in fact, talking about God's presence or that Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we find the most prosperous place, the most prosperous conditions that human beings have ever known. There's been nothing like it since. In the Garden of Eden... In the presence of Almighty God, look at the riches that Adam and Eve enjoyed. First of all, we see that they are utterly and completely safe. There's no need for a police force. There's no need for a, a military. There's no need for security guards. There's no need for uh, for any security of any form. We see that all of their needs are met. They don't need to earn money. The 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 prosperity. Of, uh, uh, and wealth is just there to enjoy. They've got a place to live. They've got food to eat. All their needs are met. There is absolutely nothing that they need. That's prosperous. We see that they have a perfect marriage. Their marriage is flawless. They've got no problems. They don't fight ever. They love each other. If Eve says, Adam, take out the garbage, he says, I would love to. I've been waiting for you to tell me to do that. I've been waiting for you to give me orders. And Adam says to Eve, can you make something to eat? She says, absolutely. I'd love to do that. I've been waiting for you to ask for something. I want to serve you, my honey. And, And Adam says to Eve, and I want to serve you, dear. Perfect marriage. They have perfect union with God. They talk to him anytime. The Bible says they walk together in the garden. They they have no guilt, no shame. There's no obstacle between them and God. Remember, they've been created by the Father for fellowship with the Father, and they enjoy it perfectly. There's There's no distance between them and God. In the garden, they have this beautiful sense of peace, that peace that passes all understanding and if there's anybody here that lacks peace in your life and you know how precious it is to have peace they could go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning and they wake up with a big smile on their face did you wake up this morning with a big smile on your face did you come to church with a big smile on your face did you fight with your wife on the way to church did you fight with your husband and tell him to slow down stop speeding not Adam and Eve it's beautiful in the garden. They've got the best dwelling place on Earth. I was watching on HGTV, uh, they, they, these, they got these shows about buying houses with houses with a view and the view of the lake and whatever. Like it's this big, beautiful property with big bucks. It's fun to watch, fun to dream about. Uh, maybe if I become a TV evangelist, I'll be able to buy one too. But I don't think that's going to happen. Adam and Eve. They've got all that and they don't have to pay a cent for it. The best dwelling place on life. And the most important thing of all, folks, is that they have a life full of purpose. Absolutely astonishing. Absolutely amazing. Now, you see, Pastor, what do you mean they had a life of purpose? Well, remember, God created them to serve Him, to be stewards, to take care of the planet, to take care of the earth. What did God say to Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, I'm giving all of this to you, and it's your job to govern it. It's your job to be stewards of this. Your job is to take care of it. I'm giving you dominion of it. And Adam and Eve, their life was was, was perfect. There's there's just no way that you could improve on it. There's no way that you could make it better. So in this sense, they were absolutely the most prosperous human beings that have ever lived. Nobody was ever as prosperous and as well off as Adam and Eve were. And then it happened. Satan came along. And here's how Jesus explains it. Jesus says in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is exactly what Satan did. He came to the garden, he came into that beautiful place that Adam and Eve called home. That beautiful life of, of total prosperity and, and of richness and satisfaction. Satan comes along and he steals from them their inheritance. Remember, God gave dominion to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, in being willing to listen to Satan rather than listening to God, they, they literally turned the dominion of the world over to Satan. And that's why the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world. Satan steals from them, and then he kills them. Hold on a minute, Pastor. I don't remember, remember, I don't remember anything about Adam and Eve dying. Yeah, they did. They died spiritually because they disobeyed God. And god, that's what God said would happen if they disobeyed. So he stole from them. He killed, killed them. And they did eventually die physically as well. And then he destroyed their lives. And we read in Genesis chapter 4, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 4, their kids are killing each other, literally. Cain kills Abel. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus comes along and says, now, here's why I have come to this earth. Do you remember what Satan did? I've come now to reverse that. This is why the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The first Adam really messed up. But the second Adam, Jesus, he says, I've come now to restore Eden. I've come now to give you that prosperous life that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden. To meet your needs, to give you that perfect marriage, to bring union between you and God, to restore that union, to bring you peace and to bring joy to your heart and to give you purpose in life. This is what Jesus is talking about. That's what this rich and satisfying life is all about. That's what we're talking about when we talk about biblical prosperity. Can I tell you, Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could wear gold and drive a Rolls Royce and have a pocket full of cash. The idea of that is absolutely ludicrous. However, what Jesus did do is he did come to give you that life that he promised, that life abundant, that life eternal, that new life. Here's the thing, folks. When you and I become Christians, you and I die, and we're—and this, this is what baptism is. You die, you're buried, and you come back up again, a brand new creation, a brand new creature. The old you is dead, and there's a brand new you, This is that life that Jesus has given. This is the rich and satisfying life that Jesus is talking about. It's a return to Eden. Now, you said, Pastor Allen, that uh, God gave us a purpose in life. Maybe some of you are here today and you don't really know what your purpose is. Well, I'm going to tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is the same as what Adam and Eve's purpose was. Your purpose is to serve God. You are a steward, a servant of God. And what gives you the sense of joy and satisfaction and happiness in this life is to find your place in serving God. If you are not being the steward that God has called you to be, if you're not being the servant that God has called you to be, then folks, you are not going to ever know the happiness and the satisfaction that God intended for you. Let me talk about that. We're going to talk about that a bit more today. But before we go any further, I just want to make sure that you get this. So if you would say with me, uh, I was created to be a steward of God. Say with me, I was created to be a steward of God. Say it one more time. I was created to be a steward of God. What is a steward? The definition of steward is to manage or to look after another's property. See, Pastor Allen, I don't know if I I don't think I own anything of God's. How could I be a steward? Oh, 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 back up here. You do. Because when you became a Christian, folks, here's what happened: you gave everything to God. Your car, your house, your wife, your kids, your job, your, your bank account, your retirement funds. You gave it all to God. You said, God, you're going to be the Lord of my life. I'm handing it all over to you. I am surrendering to you. I'm going to be your servant. And God says, right on. Now, I'm going to give it all back to you. But understand, I'm giving it back to you so that you can be a steward of it, that you will manage it because it's my property, God's saying. Now, for those of you who are not Christians, this might kind of freak you out a little bit. Don't panic. Just listen, and and you'll, you'll begin to understand. For the rest of us who are Christians, you understand that you are a steward or a manager of what God's entrusted to you. And by the way, when we talk about the property of God, we're not just talking about your bank account or your car or your house. We're talking about your time. That's right. The time that you have every day, that's to be managed and to be stewarded properly for the glory of God. Does that make sense to everybody? And your talent your skills God gave you these skills these talents to be used for his glory and for his honor not for you to to hide them and and, or not use them and of course your your treasure time talent and treasure it belongs to God and your job is to steward it now can I just remind you something Adam and Eve did not own the Garden of Eden and can I just remind you something else you think you own a house, a car, a bank account that you own. I'm going to tell you, you own nothing. You just use it, and then you die. You have it for a while, and then you're gone. You don't take it with you. The pharaohs of Egypt, in fact, the, 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 the wealthy through the generations have tried to figure out a way that they could take it with them. When we were in, uh, in Egypt back in 2009, Um, Jesse, Nicholas, and I, we went into a pyramid, and that was the most amazing and cool experience. But we got in there, and guess what? Nobody's home. Nobody's there. Nothing is there. There was a pharaoh in there. There was all kinds of jewels and gold and all sorts of wonderful things that pharaoh wanted to use in the afterlife, but I'll tell you, nothing was in there. It's all gone. It had been moved from the pyramid into the museum. The stuff that you have right now, folks, God's entrusted it to you, and then you're going to die. Charles Spurgeon said that to a man who is dying, gold is but a pile of dust. It's meaningless. And so we understand that God wants us to enjoy The benefits of Eden, all those things that I describe, all your needs met, your marriage is is good, you've got purpose in life, you're safe, you've got joy and peace. This is the prosperity that God wants for you. But understand something, that the things that God's entrusted to you, God expects you to use it for his glory and for his honor. And this is why Peter reminds the Christians, 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Did you hear that? Each of you should use whatever gifts you have to re- uh, you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Did you notice that? Grace in its various forms. What is God's grace? Well, th- there's no simple definition for this, but I'll tell you that, if, if you want to put it very simply, um, grace is... is is everything that you need, all the energy, all the strength, all the power, uh, everything you need. And Paul said this about God's grace. God's grace is is sufficient for me. Now, God is giving you so much time, treasure, talent. And God now wants you to be a good steward of that and use it for his glory and honor. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. We're talking about this prosperity of God's provision, his grace in our lives. Let's talk about, about how, the how, the how-to. How, how Pastor Allen, do I steward or manage what God's provided for me? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Jesus tells us in a number of his parables. Some of the disciples were asking Jesus, what's the kingdom of heaven like? What's it, gonna, what's it all about? And Jesus says, well, let me give you an example uh, a wealthy man went on. was going on a journey, and he called three of his servants, or his stewards. And to one, he gave five talents, or five bags of silver. To the second one, he gave two bags of silver. And then to the third servant, he gave him one bag of silver and said, take care of, take care of what I've entrusted to you, and then I'm going away, and I'll be returning. After a time, after a spell, Jesus returned, and... Uh, and he, he came to the first man who had been given five bags of silver and, and the servant said, look at this. I've, I've got five more for you. So Jesus entrusted him with five and he returned 10 bags of silver to the master. And the master said, well done. Good and faithful servant. And then he came to the second servant, the second steward. The second steward said, Lord, you gave me two bags of silver. Here's four in return. And the master said, well done. And then Jesus came to the third servant. And Jesus said, well, the master said, what have you got for me? And the servant said, "Um, I got to go find a shovel. Found the shovel. Now, where did I put that gold or that? Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that bag of silver? Oh, here it is. Digs it up. Says, here's your silver back. And the master said to him, why didn't you do anything with it? You could have at least put it in the bank. It would have earned interest. And the servant said, well, I know what kind of a master you are. I know that you're you're harsh and nasty. And Jesus strips him of that bag of silver and declares a judgment upon him. I wonder today, when you stand before Jesus, which servant are you going to be? Are you going to be the one that Jesus entrusted much to? And will you return to Jesus that much more? Will you be able to say, God, here's what I did with what you entrusted to me. The time, the treasure, the talent that you've given to me, God, I have multiplied it. For your glory and honor, I have used what you've given to me for your purposes. Or are you going to be that one with one talent? Now, here's the interesting thing. To the guy with the one bag of talent, that's stripped away from him. But the one with the five was given five more. Jesus says this. He says, take. Now, Here's where we're talking about prosperity. Take that bag of silver from that worthless servant and give it to the one who's got Ten. He said, Pastor, hang on a minute here. He's got enough. He doesn't need any more. We've got to tax him. Let's take from the rich and give to the poor. That's not God's economy. That might be what we do here in North America, but that's not how Jesus operates. Why? Because Jesus sees in this servant who's got five and multiplied it to ten bags of silver, he sees somebody who's a good steward, somebody that Jesus can trust. Now I want the Spirit of God to speak to you because some of you sitting here today and you don't have enough, you can't make ends meet, you don't have enough money, you're you're arguing with your spouse about money all the time. Uh, In fact, they say that the number one reason why couples suffer in marriage is over money. And there's a reason because we have not managed it properly. We don't understand that what God has entrusted to us is not ours to be used as we please. God has entrusted it to us to use it for his glory and honor, for his purpose. And so we read this. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Jesus tells us here, folks, listen to me, this is so important. Jesus tells us here how to increase what has been entrusted to us. God does not want you to have a poverty mentality. Nor does he want you to be like the preachers of L.A. God wants you to be a good manager of what's been entrusted to you. God's got no problem with you living a comfortable life. However, you are called to be a steward. In other words, to use what's been entrusted you for his purposes. And a lot of people, they read that passage of Scripture, particularly the prosperity teachers, and they'll say, see, I told you, give to our ministry and God's going to bless you. There was a preacher by the name of Robert Tilton, and he This this was his tactic. In fact, he he says, send in your donation and we're gonna pray over it. He gave the donation of the bank. And when the money came, the bank tellers opened the envelopes, threw the letter, the prayer request into the garbage, and deposited the money. And it was one of the, the major networks who sent out an investigative reporter that started digging through the garbage can. And there in the back of the bank, not even at the ministry headquarters, but at the bank, were all these letters that were sent in by people who were trying to do what it says here. And, of course, this guy, eventually, eventually, his ministry fell apart. And you can Google it if you want. You'll find out. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about a lifestyle that the people at Jesus' time would have understood. They understood this concept or this principle of sowing and reaping. This was an agrarian society. They were farmers. They understood. Jesus was constantly making reference to sowing and reaping the plants and and, and, the the wheat and the tares and the fig tree and you know what tree bites for these. He's talking in language they understood and they fully understood this. The picture here, of course, is is a bushel of grain. And Jesus says, you're not just going to get a bushel of grain, but we're going to press that grain down. We're going to shake it around so that it settles even better, so we can add even more. In fact, we're going to add so much more that the grain will be running over, and it'll be running over into your lap. Jesus says the amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, this definitely refers to giving. Giving to giving of your finances, of your resources. But it refers to so much more than that. What you need to do is you need to see this passage in context. If we go back to verse 27, Jesus says, love those who hate you. So what are you doing? You're sowing seeds of love. And what kind of a harvest do you want to get? That Those who hate you will now love you. Jesus says, sow seeds of blessing. Bless those who curse you. That's verse 28. Verse 29, turn the other cheek. Verse 30. Give to anyone who asks. Sow seeds of kindness, of generosity to those who don't have enough, and watch what God will do for you. Verse 30. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. You see what I'm saying? It's you reap what you sow. So if you are stingy, then that's the kind of harvest that you're going to get. I see people praying all the time. I'm in financial trouble. need help. Can you a counselor and so on and so forth yes I can but here's what you need to do is you need to start doing what God tells you to do you need to start sowing seed and watching God provide for you now if you're not a Christian all of this doesn't make any sense because it doesn't really it doesn't connect But can I tell you something? That if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, the Spirit of God in you will be able to receive that truth because truth is of God. And and those who worship God worship God in spirit and in truth. Those of us who are Christians, we understand that this is a spiritual principle. And if God has promised to to provide for you and meet your needs, he's going to do that. But you have to do it his way. You're not going to wake up in the morning, and and it's not going to be like manna on the ground. You're going to find money on the ground. You've got to start sowing seeds so that you can begin to reap the harvest. Verse 37, Jesus says, don't judge, and you won't be judged. See what I'm saying? Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. This is the principle of sowing and reaping and the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and we see this throughout the scripture this principle of sowing and reaping Paul says don't be misled you cannot mock the justice of God you will always harvest what you plant so I would ask you today to consider what kind of seeds you're sowing in your life because I think you, you recognize I'm not just talking about sowing money. Everybody thinks that that's, what, that's all pastors ever talk about. We're talking about sowing spiritual seed of love, of kindness, of forgiveness, of not judging, of doing to others as you'd have them do unto you, turn the other cheek, blessing those who curse you, love those who hate you, pray for those who, who use you badly. We're sowing seed so that we can experience a harvest And so that we can prosper as God would have us prosper. I can tell you today, folks, God wants to meet every single one of your needs. He wants to bless your family. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to take care of, he wants to, those who hate you, God wants to turn them into people that love you. Those who are not your friends, he he wants to turn your enemies into your friends. I'm going to tell you, folks, God can do these miracles, but you've got to start doing what he tells you to do. And that means you've got to start sowing seed. I've seen this happen so many times in my life. People that don't like me. Man, I'll tell you, that was a real shock to me when I started in the ministry and discovered that people didn't like me. Because I loved everybody. I cared about everybody. I prayed for everybody. I reached out to everybody. But not everybody liked that. Some people actually were quite offended. Some people don't, don't want to be loved like that. So what do I do, folks? Do I say, oh, yeah, well, well, I'll teach you I'm not going to love you back, and I'm just going to stop praying for you, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't care, leave my church. No, you can't do that. What you do is you start doing what Jesus tells you to do. Start sowing seeds, start sowing seeds. And I have seen, I've seen people over and over and over again, people who did not like me for whatever reason, all of a sudden they begin to soften, and the next thing you know they're my best friends, they love me and care about me. You're struggling with your kids? Stop treating them like the enemy. Start loving them. Start sowing seeds of love. Start demonstrating to them how much you actually care for them and watch their attitudes change because you reap what you sow. So many of us, we, we, we may have a great big bank account, but we're so unhappy we are so, so desperately unhappy. No peace, no joy. Folks, then you're not prosperous. The kind of prosperity that God's talking about is prosperity, meaning that all your needs are met and you've got joy and you're happy and you've got peace in your life and you've got a great marriage and you get along with your kids. You see what I'm saying? That's what God wants for you. Jesus died on the cross to set you free from your self-centeredness and every single person who learns how to yield to Jesus Christ, everyone who learns how to die to themselves starts to sow seeds that are in line with the teaching of Jesus Christ. You start loving people that hate you. You start caring for people. You start giving to the poor. You start giving to to the widow. You start giving to the orphan. The Bible says when you lend to the poor, you're actually giving to God. And do you think that God's gonna owe you one nickel? Not according to Jesus. Jesus says the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Folks, if you're struggling right now in your relationships, then you need to go home and sow some seed. So You need to go home and sow some love. If you are struggling in your your finances, I, I know what the problem is. You don't even have to go to a financial advisor. Start giving and watch how God will provide for you and meet your need. If you're struggling with people that don't like you, Start being nice to them and watch the change that will take place. You're struggling at work? Start being nice to the people at work. Bring them donuts. Kill them with kindness. (laughs) Love them and care for them. Watch what God will do. This is a biblical principle, a principle that will guarantee you the prosperous life that God wants you to have. You know, uh, there's so many people that have this poverty mentality I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian today, you need to learn to have an abundance mentality, which means you need to start sowing. Sowing out of what God has given to you. Has Jesus saved you? Have you been set free from your sin? Has Jesus become the Lord of your life? Then you need to start doing what he tells you to do, and you need to begin to watch God's hand of blessing touch you. You need to begin to open up your arms to receive all the blessing God has for you. Giving, folks, is the seventh habit, of the seven habits of cross church, the things that we teach our people. The reason we teach you this is because we know that this will open the floodgates of God's blessing for you. God wants to bless you. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to help you in your marriage and every relationship. And he wants to take care of those things right now that are robbing you of peace. You know what I'm talking. When you go to bed at night, you can't sleep because that thing's nagging you. God wants to help you with that. And even now as I'm speaking, God is speaking to you and showing showing you what you need to do, what seeds you need to sow in order to begin to enjoy this prosperous life that belongs to everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you today for your word, which is a lamp for our feet. Your word shows us exactly how to live. It shows us exactly what to do, what not to do. And God, today, your word is clear, and it's it's, it's going to require some real faith to take that step of faith, to do what you're telling us to do. Because Maybe this morning, some of us, God, are just feeling angry at somebody or feel, holding uh, a grudge in our hearts, and, and it's robbed us of our joy. It's robbed us of our peace, and you want to give us back our joy and our peace, and you're telling us today that we need to sow seeds of forgiveness so that we can be forgiven. Some here are struggling financially. God, you want to bless and enrich your people so that we can in turn turn around and bless others god by your spirit right now would you give us the courage to start sowing seed to start advancing the kingdom of god so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven for those marriages that are struggling right now the relationship with kids that are struggling right now god you know all about these things and and your spirit is prompting us to reach out in love to sow some good seed of love to turn the other cheek To pray for those who are treating us badly. To love that one who has declared himself an enemy. God, help us to be truly like Jesus. And we need your Holy Spirit. We need the quickening of your spirit to make it possible. So God, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who enables us to live this life that doesn't make sense to the natural mind. We pray that we be truly godly, holy people in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go give.